Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tuning Fork. I'm David. I'm Matt. This is a podcast about pitchfork and or music and the pitchfork media hype machine. I still go. am not saying that often enough to me- remember the whole thing the first time. Um, <laughs> we have uh, a very special guest today. Very special. Am I supposed yeah. to say Do something? You want to introduce now? yourself? <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Greg Simpson uh, from a couple of other podcasts. Uh, this might be a podcast about They Might Be Giants and Best Midwestern, a podcast about Midwestern music, both on the punknews.org network. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, I listened to uh, the Giants Confirmed, and uh, this might be a podcast episodes that you two did together. The crossover. Like, you know what? I, I need to get in on this action. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a very special guy who uh, deserves to be listened to. <laughs> I couldn't even make it through that sentence. <laughs> For the occasion, we have a very special album. Mm-hmm. That that being an album that got the legendary 0.0 on Pitchfork.com. Boo. <laughs> The suffix stan is Persian for place of or country. It appears in the names of many regions in Iran, Afghanistan, and Central and South Asia, as well as in the Caucasus and Russia, and also the album Travistan by Travis Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) Which means, in the original Farsi, the the country of Travis. Yeah, and that's where all the people that play on this album are from, according to the liner notes. Yep, we got the the Travestani National String Orchestra and the Travestani Women's Chorus. Yeah, I've got the uh, booklet right in front of me. Apparently, I I don't know if I I didn't review this. I may have stole it from my college radio station because it has the barcode punched out. I mean, as one does. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, nobody. Yeah. No, I don't think there is. I don't. I don't know if there is a vinyl pressing of this, but at least one of us can say I have the CD. Yep, I sure do. Actually, I'm going to blame my wife for stealing this because I had already graduated in 2004, so I think she stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny here the map of it and stuff. Are you guys looking at like a? Are you looking at a an image of the 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 booklet? No, yeah, it's just it's, it's it. listed on the Wikipedia page for me. Anyway. Oh yeah, it's pretty funny. All the the stuff. Producers: Chris Walla and Don Zintera. Religion: 100% Roman Catholic. <laughs> and his and ethnicity: 50% Scottish, 25% Norwegian, and 25% Austro-Hungarian. Travistan also has a liberal visa agreements with Vietnam, Lebanon, and Mexico. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. <laughs> do you think? Do you think that's why uh, the dismemberment plan uh, broke up there temporarily? What, which which Travis went off and, and formed his own nation. Well, apparently on the last dismemberment plan tour, that's what they called the van that they they use on the last uh, D plan tour. Was they well, called the Travis, the Travis van? The Travis Travis stand the Travis van. Yes, something like that. <laughs> that's what I read. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, this... so really, that was him flexing his muscles in the dismemberment plan. Then right, this is my van. Like, this 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 is my van. Well, maybe he paid for it. I, I get to make the rules. <laughs> yeah. We're going to put shag carpeting in here if I say so. In a disco ball. Yeah. <laughs> Dismemberment Plan got really good reviews from Pitchfork, and then this came out. Yeah, I think, uh, I want to say Emergency and I got something like a 9.5 on its first issue and has gotten 10s ever on every subsequent like re-release of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they love that shit. And that that puts Travis Morrison in the like very rare pantheon of album of like musicians who have made both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, ten and zero. <laughs> ten and zero. There's him. There's uh, the Flaming Lips. Sonic Youth. Um, 
Sonic Youth, yeah. Bell and Sebastian. Animal Collective. Bell Liz, and Sebastian have gotten pretty close. Liz Fair. Yeah. I read Liz Fair did it as Liz well. Liz Fair got a zero and a 9.5, I think, is what they gave Exile and Guyville. Mm, so, Jesus. like, very close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Impressive. And the, the, the effect of this review, according to Barsic Records, was, what were the words? Uh, like, immediate and something? Like, uh, I, I don't have it. I don't have those words in front of me, but it was, like, catastrophic. Yeah, so it, it was catastrophic, basically. Yeah. He would, um, uh, he, he described the mood at his shows of being, like, people were pretty, like, you know, forgiving of, like, how idiosyncratic the lyrics of this tour were, and how, like, you know, he's like, oh, Travis doing his own goofy thing, but, you know, we, we're fl- uh, fans of the D-Plan, so we'll, we'll go check it out, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, crack wise a little bit at the show, but apparently it's, like, right after the review came out, it was just, like, bad. Yeah, just nobody showed up. Nobody showed up, or the energy at the shows was just bad. Yeah, again, it's just the the power of of Pitchfork, especially at the time, to just completely sway everybody. Even people who probably didn't even read the review, they might have just had a mm-hmm. friend who was like, "Oh my god, did you hear they gave Travis Morrison's record a zero? Oh, a zero. Well, I was thinking of going to the show, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that I feel bad? like um, they don't have the the sway anymore, like even close. Because like, no. I know that there was some there was some like discussions around um, the the new Fiona Apple album getting a ten, right? But like, it basically didn't make it out of people who discuss music all the time anyway. Like right. there was no like there was no huge outlets talking about it. There wasn't like large there were there's like some larger press about it, but like it really didn't extend outwards to like the reach of this. And it's like it's not like it was doing Fiona <laughs> Apple any like it, it wasn't like increasing Fiona Apple's clout any. She has plenty. Yeah. <laughs> like she she's Supposedly, bigger than them. <laughs> the the reaction to this review was so severe that Pitchfork like did an internal review and was like, All right, we <laughs> We're a little bit too big to be doing this, <laughs> so we might want to revisit that. Yeah, yeah. They, like they, I don't, yet I, I don't feel like they gave many zeros after this. Yeah, I was I was reading something though, but uh, the founder Ryan Schreiber, uh, he said in in the same year, in late two thousand four. With something like the Travis Morrison record, I know that I would give it the same ranking no matter what. I think that a record can be so unlistenable and so terrible that it deserves that rating. He said, it's totally subjective. So is it devoid of worth to me personally? Yes. So he's even agreeing. (laughs) He's agreeing with Chris Dolan, who wrote the review. But then, yeah, it must have been even maybe a little bit after that. I think they were still like... They they assume they're kind of punching up in that they were like, oh, we're still this little blog, whatever, and mm-hmm. you know he's this big name guy, you know we can just talk shit or whatever. But I think at that point they realized it was like a turning point. They're like, actually, people are listening to what we're saying, and we did significant damage to someone's career. Like maybe we should not be so flippant with our <laughs> scores. And yeah, yet, it's not like every, the dismemberment every, every, plan were. It's not like the dismemberment plan were gigantic stars at the time. Like people liked them a lot, but. Like, it, it's not like they could survive that big of a hit. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed that they ended up playing Pitchfork Fest in 2011, because that's where I saw them play. Yeah, and yeah. They, they buried the hatchet with the with some of the emergency and I re- reissues, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And that Chris Dylan guy apparently stopped writing for... He, he really doesn't do that much music journalism at all anymore, mostly like video game stuff, I think. Oh. Um, but he's, he had already, I think, kind of wasn't working for Pitchfork anymore. So it's like, yeah, we'll play your he festival. He evolved into a gamer. 
We'll play your festival, but if we see that guy around, we're going to punch him in the fucking face. Oh, he doesn't doesn't work for us anymore. (laughs) Oh, okay, then. I feel like the review itself didn't feel as much of a zero as, like, Ryan Schreiber's opinion of it seems to be. Yeah, like, like, I I think he he was able to pick out some of the things that I ended up liking about the album. Yeah. And mentioned them in a positive light, but it's just like... And we'll get into it when we start getting into the lyrics. I feel like you just felt overall, what's the point of any of this? Yeah. Yeah, the, the score definitely it, does not match the text. I mean, it's definitely a negative review, but I think the score is just kind of like to make a point that like, oh, I think that's it's That's what Pitchfork does a, in general. Their, their right. scores are editorial, so. Yeah, are, they, are they really yeah. still, you think? I think they've said as much. Okay. So they are still doing that? Like the whole, what is it, like the whole writing staff? Do they, do they like take a vote and average the entire... I'm not sure. I'm scores? not sure because I feel like nothing nothing would get a ten if that were the case. Right. I feel like it's it's got to be some kind of discussion. Yeah. 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 But they meet way, in a shadowy boardroom. Yeah, and and Pitchfork in 2004. I mean, they were still already they were already super established. I mean, I mean, like you said, I don't think they have the. I mean, I think they still have clout, but they're not like the the indie rock voice anymore. And yeah. they've kind of done that to themselves in like just being like pop uh and rap is pretty much what they do now i mean mm-hmm. I, I used yeah. in, in 2004 in that era i was visiting the site every day to see what was up but uh these days it's like maybe once a week i'll pop over there and just click over to best new music and be like what says rock beneath it <laughs> yeah what should i actually pay attention to because after just like a year of going there and being like i don't like any of this stuff this is not it's I not could, your scene right yeah like if i want to learn about the new pop stars i can you know Go to Rolling Stones website or something. I don't know. Right. Go, go somewhere a bit less pretentious than Pitchfork to hear about it. <laughs> if I want to hear about Carly Rae Jepsen, I'll just ask Matt. Yeah, I will <laughs> gladly tell you which the best new songs are on the new album. Unfortunately, right. they did not give that a high enough review for us to talk, a high enough score for us to talk about it. Yeah, that's Or a low enough one. <laughs> are we ready to uh, to jump into this album with the first track? Yeah, I think so. So it starts off with part A of a four-part song called Get Me Off This Coin. Tiny portrait of my bad side on a single sense. Now you give me a penny for my thoughts. I think I'll give it back. My mind is a terrible thing now, baby. But the guy you got now is a hat. So get me off of this coin Cause I don't like other And so my initial thought of this, like, I I didn't realize that all four of them were going to be the exact same melody. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, huh, is this like a lounge music album about presidents? (laughs) It's it's the schoolhouse rock. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of have that feel to it. So how early in the episode can we... Like do some they might be giants references because I'm figuring like I mean, the they whole gotta time be if you want okay <laughs> yeah Matt's here so you may as well I mean really I'm what... literally I'm literally wearing my pink album shirt right now nice nice when uh <laughs> yeah when I was listening to this today I was uh, I was actually thinking about it like I think a lot of the coming at it from a point of view of a they might be giants fan you can draw a lot of similarities. And one of the things is all of these short, similar songs can almost be kind of like, almost like a fingertip style montage where it's like, well, in this case, they all have like that melodic kind of motive coming through. 
But mm-hmm. like being that like on the surface, you might be like, what is this stupid little silly song? But like, the, you know, there's more to it than that. And, and the kind of, I mean, it definitely is silly, but it is kind of a funny little concept to keep uh, like a familiar melody that each time it comes back, it's almost like, oh, hey, it's a little welcome, a uh, little tune coming back and then on to a new song. I think it's yeah, kind of an interesting idea. It tells you approximately idea. how far into the album you are. Sure, that too. <laughs> yeah. By the fourth time, I was getting a little bit tired of it. But the first one is, you know, it's it's all right to hear. I feel like the first one's fine. I mean, th- they're all just about how presidents, if they were alive in 2004, would all be centrists, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like either side. Yeah. And that brings up like a, a couple of, there, there was a, an article I read that was uh, from The Nation, which was the one that uh, it had a citation about how one of the songs is about 9-11, which is just something that I just don't pick up on yeah. unless someone tells me because I'm just whatever. Um, yeah, it's it like he was like, yeah, no, it's like I'm probably going to vote for the Democrats, but I'm not going to hitch myself to the Democrat wagon, um, which seems like a like in 2004 that must have seemed like insane because right. like you know because of wanting to get Bush out of office so bad. Um, that's the, probably a good thing to do now. <laughs> the Democrats fucking suck ass. <laughs> Everybody sucks ass. Oh, everybody does suck ass. But yeah, just like, it's like, I'm probably going to vote Democrat, but I'm not hitching myself to their wagon. Um, Probably a good thing. Yeah, this was after having a couple elections where there was a third party candidate that everyone blamed for not getting the uh, outcome they wanted. Mm -hmm. A strategy that still works to this day. Yep. I turned. Always blame uh, a third party. Yeah. (laughs) I turned 18 just in time for the uh, 2000 election. I voted for Nader. So it was my fault that Bush got elected. Clearly. Oh my god, it was you. You did it yep. yourself. It was all me voting for a third-party candidate in a blue state, solidly blue Illinois. <laughs> I did Thank it. Thank you, Greg. I did it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well. To me, Wait, this is so the you, least bad you of did the Bush. Bush so. You did Bush, and Bush, Bush did 9-11. <laughs> yeah. So, by the transitive property... There you go. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> but we're not here to make value judgments. We're here to talk about change. Very funny to name one of the songs "Change" after that was like you know the last album that D Plan did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This um, one uh, has a sample in it that's I think is from some video game, like the Rear. I don't remember exactly which game, but I know I recognize it. Yeah, it is a sample. You you verified that, <laughs> or you just think it's like that a sound? It, from? it sounds it sounds like it's coming out of a two thousand four uh, dot mp3 file so yeah i'm pretty sure it's a sample i don't know yeah i mean i feel like it could have usually just been like plugging some wires weird on a mod synth but like given how much midi is on this album um i don't know if he was going with anything that good yeah i don't know you're uh, you're accusing him of using uh non-analog equipment is that what you're saying (laughs) come on i mean i guess there are there are strings in the credits but like yeah if if they're there he could press the hell out of them Everything definitely does sound quite a, it, not 
not entirely in this song, but on later songs, I definitely hear some MIDI instruments coming through. Mm-hmm. The thing about this song is that I like most of it. It's just like, he doesn't get the whole way there with me. Um, the lyrics, like most of the lyrics on this album, are not great. <laughs> the chorus is not great. And the check your pulse now, it's heart attack time is are just annoying. The, are you talking about the chorus that, that goes, oh my god, you can change. When did his yes turn to yas? Yeah. Because all his yes are yas on this album. It was driving me nuts. It's an East Coast thing. He's the Yaz King. Yeah. <laughs> As I've most... listened to so much Emergency and I that it, it, it's like, he does just do Yaz on that one, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I like, think I'll have so. Like, I'll have to spin it later. I, I have that on vinyl. <laughs> I don't yet. Yeah, that was a huge album. Me and, and my wife, when we were first starting to date, even before our official first date, we went and saw uh, the Dismemberment Plan at a small Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. They were on a day off from their tour with uh, Death Cab for Cutie. It was the Des- Death and Dismemberment Tour. God, but, such a good tour title. Yeah. Them as, as the small band, they're like, day off. We need some money. Let's go play this little college. So that was Did we already mention show. that Chris Walla was involved in this album? I don't think we... No, we, I think you did briefly, but yeah, I guess that's how he got hooked up with Chris Walla. Yes, I mentioned that he's part of, apparently he's also Roman Catholic, because they're all 100% Roman Catholic in the Republic <laughs> of Travestan. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Walla, though, that dude, I mean, there's a lot of records I love that uh, he's produced. Um, and you guys are already ripping on the keyboards, but I think, you know... Coming off the dismemberment plan, I mean, they had a lot of really sick synthesizer sounds, and so maybe he was oh, intentionally yeah. trying to make some stuff like a little, uh, a little chintzier, a little cheesier, and uh, just to kind of, I mean, he obviously loves keyboards, but they're not as yeah. prevalent on this as on uh, dismemberment plan albums. But um, I mean, I think it's probably a conscious change, and I think having yeah. synthesized instruments. Um, can be a choice. I don't think he's trying to pull one over on us with any of the, no, no. the, the, the sounds. It's a conscious change. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, you, know, you can change. I think the, the lyrics about this, I wouldn't call the... I mean, you're saying that the lyrics on the album in general are bad. I think, again, it's a conscious choice to get out of the kind of very emo vibe of uh mm-hmm. the album change like they got just really moody on that album i mean honestly i listen to travis and more than i listen to change um <laughs> coming up like it just was like nice and it was peppier you know like the dismemberment plan is terrified emergency and i the the kind of dismemberment plan that i liked but i think the lyrical choices is just uh he just wanted to sing about some stuff that wasn't so emo and saying yeah. Moses could be a bitch with a capital B fits right in there. <laughs> Talk a bunch of weird shit and you had to agree. <laughs> While I was up there talking to plants and growing my beard to my nuts. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. Thank you for this. He yeah, saw no, that uh, he saw that scene lyrics. in Monty Python's The Life of Brian with the the old guy in the hole with the beard that was taped to his scrotum. <laughs> and he was like, Yes, I need to make a song about this. <laughs> yeah i don't know i, you I mean know? you know i think I'm, I'm pretty sure travis is like pretty decently into uh, uh hip-hop and stuff and a lot of these rhymes this is stuff that could fly if yep. someone rapped it like hip-hop dudes they can get away with silly shit 
and it just goes by so quick and then they're on to the next thing like even in like deeply political songs you'll hear some really good rappers dropping oh, yeah. silly references and stuff like that um and I think, I, yeah, rhyming like guts problem, with nuts, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the problem is mostly the the rhythm he keeps with it. Um, because, like, you know, the, the reason that rappers can pull that kind of stuff off is because they are keeping strong to a rhythm. But he just kind of seems to meander the end of his lines sometimes. He does mm. a lot of, like, the, the really quick catch-up where you say, like, four four words just real quickly to try to get back on your meter. Uh-huh. And it, it just, just doesn't work for me most of the time. Mm, He's definitely not a hashtag rapper. what else we got in here yeah i mostly love the way this song uh, is constructed like it's it's probably one of the standouts for me Um, yeah other than other than the bridge (laughs) this one seemed the most like what i was expecting from this album i feel like the first time i listened to it Mm. this and the the coin song would have thrown you for a loop (laughs) yeah yeah it's a bold way to start it i mean you gotta i mean you gotta give it to him for taking chances on this album i mean Mm -hmm. That those coin songs are something that would have never ended up on a dismemberment plan album, dismemberment plan album, especially the last one. But he was doing silly stuff in the early days of the dismemberment plan. Like if you think about the Ice of Boston, where it almost gets to like a weird L point in the song, where he's like, <laughs> "And I strip down, and uh, what is it? I don't remember the lyrics exactly. I'm naked. I take a bottle of champagne and I pour it on my head. And then there's people out the window and they're like, looking at me, looking at them, looking at me. And then the phone." rings and it's my mother (laughs) hey travis how's boston it it makes me it makes me think of the difference in tone between the first or i guess the only two uh studio albums by slint like Mm. Uh the first slint album just starts with uh what's his name brian mcmahon yelling at steve albini that his headphones are fucked up And then Spiderland is this huge like mood piece that yeah. is like considered a it like a masterpiece by everybody. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that very 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 different uh, styles going for there. But uh, what I'm saying is that it's not unprecedented. Like there is precedence that he has thrown a lot of silly l- lyrics out there, and yeah. uh, it's, it's not like it's coming totally out of left field. If, if if I don't have sex in like in the next <laughs> by the end whatever. of the week I'm g- 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 going to die. Yeah. yeah, that's not that one's not silly at all though. That's a serious song. Yep. <laughs> uh, born in '72. Born Caucasian, it's true. I'm white and it's a good thing too. Cause I don't get pulled over by the cops and if ever then it's one. Okay. I don't, I, he's he's white and it's a good thing too because he doesn't get pulled over by the cops. <laughs> and and if ever then it's one that stops, not three. Yep. Still relevant. I mean, it's the, the about same... it's about white male privilege. I mean, this yeah. this song still totally uh you know totally relevant. The it seems like it's about his white privilege and how he doesn't do anything with it. Yeah, it's just like I, it's like. He he points out all these things, but he doesn't really go anywhere with it. Like I feel like he doesn't expand upon the idea enough. He just kind of says, "Yeah, that's that's kind of how it is, huh?" Yeah, and that's that's why this one doesn't really doesn't didn't land with me as much. Like it's just I was born into this extraordinary situation. That's it. 
I mean, maybe that's the idea, though, is that, like, feeling like, especially, you know, he's got a band ending, he's trying to start something new, he's kind of like, you know, where am I in my life? Have I really accomplished anything? You know, Mm -hmm. I've had everything going for me because of, you know, how I look, the way, you know, how I was born, and, you know, here I am, just another white indie rock guy. I mean, you know, so, hey, yeah, yeah. What did I say? What did I do? Yeah. All, we're always paid more, even if less skilled. Might be a yeah. little, little self-dig there. Yeah, yeah, and then I guess the, the can't ask for more, so we're unfulfilled, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I, okay, I guess that, that, that does that does kind of carry from the rest of the song. It's like, I've had all of this opportunity, but mm-hmm. what have I done with it? Whereas I was just kind of hearing it. It's like, I've had all this opportunity, and then a period, and then the rest of the page <laughs> is blank. And that's really how the song read to me the first couple of times I listened okay. to it. Yeah. Okay. Like I was just I was thinking of it in contrast. Uh, do you know you know AJJ at all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like American Tune is the is the one that I would think of. That's like mm. a pretty close parallel to the way this song is built. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that one's like a very much like I have all of this and it's fucked up. So carry it forward and you know try to bring your good fortune onto others. Right. Right. And yeah. that, that's why it's like this one felt like it was just kind of kind of weak on the statement. Mm. Mm. I do like the the musical uh, performance of this one. Oh, it's so so good, so catchy. And ladies and gentlemen on the drums, Jason McGurr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the little drop out there with the drums. So you got two Death Cab uh, guys coming in here, one producing and one drumming. I also love the ending, <laughs> the pitched up vocals, the yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck up or what is it uh shut the I'll fuck up kill you. oh yeah i'll fucking kill you <laughs> it was um <laughs> yeah, it goes right. on just about five seconds too long no but then, wait, that's what makes know. it funnier is that it goes longer than you think it should <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's showing his uh he's showing his great appreciation for the hip-hop interludes of the time right exactly <laughs> it's a hip-hop dude right got up in the little goofy shit that people are like okay let's skip through it next time <laughs> so good yeah and then, and then and then nerdcore happened around the exact same time oh god <laughs> nerdcore yeah i don't yep. even know what that means uh, it, it's it's when it's when white rappers decided that they were uh too cool to sing about anything but uh nerd shit and video games so like mc chris yeah yeah, yeah so okay. like mc chris <laughs> all right <laughs> anyway the next song's about 9-11 i guess I don't know about it, that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's cited from the Wikipedia page from this article, and it's like I I went to the article to be like, did he say this? And it's like, no, it just seems to be conjecture. No, oh, it's about how he got writing the, the piece. It's about how he got the shit kicked out of him. This one is called "My Two Front Teeth," parts two and three. And I heard this white hat say, "No, sir." part one i I don't know (laughs) i like that this one is built like it's built like a campfire song (laughs) a campfire song (laughs) it's just it's just elaborate it's it's just like a story that he's telling yeah and it's like a very very simple chord that he's doing like the whole time and yeah until the outro until the outro yeah and it it, it's it's very goofy and um it kind of grew on me on the second and third listens 
Yeah, I, I like this one. Uh, I like this one more than a 0.0. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's another one where, where it's like some of these lines, I wish he would kind of, you know, shorten them up a little bit. But I think that's kind of in the spirit of the way this song is written is that it's almost like it's just complete stream of consciousness. It, nothing, nothing on it seems very deliberate. And that's definitely a choice to make. But it, it seems like it could have done another pass on the editing. Just, yeah, just to just to tighten up some, the lines a little bit. There's still some good rhymes in there. Like right off the bat, the second I saw, but the first was Sucker Punch City. I got my ass kicked by a committee of whom I don't know. Got the internal rhyme in there. City mm-hmm. and committee. And to me, just like his words here, again, it's like something that very traumatic that happened to him. I mean, getting, you know, randomly getting your ass kicked and your teeth knocked out is not fun. But like calling it Sucker Punch City, it's like you're taking the you know you're taking the air out of the balloon there. You're like, yeah, this this shitty thing happened, but you know I'm gonna joke about it a little bit now. Yeah, it's very silly. Yeah, I love it's it. It's kind of it's kind of just setting the tone up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do either of you know what he's referring to when he talks about a white hat? Um, uh, where is this? The door was ajar, and I heard this white hat say, "No, sir, I never heard a thing." So the thing with the this album is that um. It being from like the the earlier part of the 2000s and also like not super popular, David had to add most of the lyrics to Genius. Yeah, oh, I was really? going to say, <laughs> like, if you're looking at the Genius page right now, it, it only all, all these songs are only in the album on Genius because I added them earlier today. Wow, doing the work. <laughs> yeah, that. and even then, and like I'm, some of the lyrics like are the a top, bit off. I'm like the third top Travis Morrison contributor on Genius now. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice work. Someone already right, put yeah. in all y'all. Yeah, Greg, you yep. got to go in and do, do and do the annotations now. And then, then you then you could okay. be the number one Travis Morrison expert. I'd be like, this one is yeah. not about 9/11. Where are you getting it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to hold on. Where's the white hat part? What verse are we looking at here? It's in the, uh, the it's second, in the second the paragraph. second stanza. Yeah, yeah the second stanza. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Hmm. Imagine being on a music podcast and knowing music words. I couldn't be me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, patrol car, white hat. I don't know. I mean, like policemen don't wear white hats. I mean, who wears white hats? Guess- the only the only thing that I've heard that term uh, for before is like a genre of hacker. Yeah, same. <laughs> that is the huh. only co- that is the only context in which I've heard of the term white hat. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure yeah. someone is screaming right now listening to this. Ah! <laughs> How don't you know that? Let's, let's yeah. see. White like, hats. like, comment, and subscribe if you know what a uh, white hat is. I th- uh, hmm. White hats. Yeah, I'm, I just Googled it and it seems to be all stuff about hackers. Uh, is there a dadlier <laughs> reference that he could have made than Gordy Howe? <laughs> hey, he was born in 72. Uh, White Hat, a virtuous yeah. hero, especially in a cowboy movie. A good guy. Okay. Huh. Well, I suppose. So yeah, definitely the, the not a cop. good guys in westerns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, think about Westworld. Like, you know, the black is the, uh, you know, the guy wearing black, the guy with the black hat. He's the bad guy. The guy with the white hat. He's the white guy. The the white guy. Yeah. That actually this, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. So the the white hat. I don't know. the So what is it saying? That no one, no one came to his uh, defense or... Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. No one was uh no no witnesses were coming to Zed to get his attackers. Yeah, it, I guess if, so. if I if I witnessed a mugging, I'm not sure what I would do in that situation other than be like, "Hey, you're do you need help?" Yeah. And it was multiple people. So I mean, if you're just out there by yourself, you're like, "Uh, uh stop that, you guys." I don't know. 
they they yeah. read his they read his weird pro Iraq war article and just decided to jump him in the streets. <laughs> yeah, his blog post. <laughs> Such a weird post. Yeah, you know, actually, my wife was mentioning that she's like, didn't he have some sort of conservative type thing that came? Out? I'm like, that rings a bell, but I couldn't uh, I couldn't find it. You I guys, don't think it was as much of a conservative moment as it was just him being like, like he, I think he was reading too many like foreign policy mags, yeah. and those things, those yeah. things were just full of ho- those things are just full of hawks, mm. and he was bl- believing too much of the things that were being said at the time, because it, it yeah. does seem it does seem like he it's not like he was like voting it's not like he was voting Republican in two thousand four or anything, right? Right. Do you think people were asking for his opinion when he wrote that? Oh, most certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> Like, was there a big enough, like, online following of Travis Morrison in 2000, 2003 for him to uh, get a big audience? Well, I mean, to like, that? platforms didn't even exist at this point. It was just on, like, some random-ass blog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And then somebody cross-posted it to a forum. Yeah. Because I guess that's just how you had to do things. That's how things were shared. There was no central spot for things. Yeah. Nope. Wait, 2003, I mean, MySpace, I think, was starting up. Mm-hmm. Did he put it on his Just MySpace barely, page? Yeah. Shared it to his MySpace page. His top eight all checked it out. <laughs> the old, the whole song is just him getting kind of gradually more pathetic about it, and then you know yeah. trying to be a put a brave face about it, and then of course the outro is just all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth <laughs> repeated over and over over like uh yeah like like in like kind of a, a faded vocal, mm-hmm. um which is something I found grating the first time, um but kind of funny the other two times. Yeah. Same, same. I feel like that's a lot of what this album is. <laughs> like, I think I'm, I mean, I'm endearing to it a little more the more I talk about it. So I, I think that's that, that that's you doing the work there, Greg. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, a lot of it might be maybe this is like his his quarter life crisis album or something where he's like reverting back to all these childhood things. For one, being you know the song "All I Want for Christmas Is My Two Front Teeth" to kind mm-hmm. of uh, ease the pain of uh, you know the very adult thing of getting your ass kicked in front of a the gap <laughs> maybe that song is part one yeah m- maybe yeah, i don't know <laughs> or part part one Our- was the sounds of their fists hitting his face <laughs> and so parts two and three is this is the afterwards <laughs> yeah the rhythm. are we ready for uh part b of get me off this coin now i can't say i follow america the scene just ain't the same I'll just kick it at Monticello The guys you got now have no game So get me off of this coin Cause I don't like either side I like my nations in constant revolution And my booty wide Sure None of this needed to happen Same tune Same tune (laughs) Really hate this one You were saying something You were saying something about Uh yeah, you were saying something about the instrumentation in Part B that you hated. God, now I can't even remember. Hmm. But anyway, this uh, there's there sure are some lyrics in this one. <laughs> it's the Thomas Jefferson one. Yeah, very clearly the Thomas Jefferson one. Yeah, smoked a pound of Mary. <laughs> yeah, Jefferson uh, famously was uh, in many relationships, quote unquote, with his uh, with his slaves at the time. Don't like to think about it. Don't like it set to a jaunty tune. No. <laughs> Don't really give a shit about what he thinks about being on a coin or not. <laughs> Don't like that Travis decided to end this song with end my booty wide. Yeah, that's a little. <laughs> uh, that that definitely would not 
fly. If, that if would this not song fly today. Came out today. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little insensitive. I'll say. I mean, not enough people listened to this back in 2004 for it to matter. <laughs> yeah. If, if, Pitch, if Pitchfork didn't cancel him, then someone else would have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's singing them from the point of views of these presidents, but yes. uh, it's still him writing the lyrics. And I don't think you'd, I think Booty referred to what pirates uh, had, they got at the time. I don't think uh, Jefferson would have used the, <laughs> the phrase Booty, my Booty wide. <laughs> God. Um, much like I don't really care about the musical Hamilton, I just don't care about the perspectives of presidents. <laughs> They're generally a and shitty I don't, people. <laughs> I don't like to see fan art of them. Fan art? Is this an inside joke I'm not aware of? No, just, Greg, be glad that you haven't seen some parts of the internet that we have seen. <laughs> and let's just okay. leave it at that. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, I don't want to know. <laughs> the, the next one is about what Basically, all of the presidents have done so far. People die. Pe- People do die. That is true. It's the fact. People die. There they go. You cannot say I did not tell you so. Someday we'll be old and we'll read obituary pages like sports. And we'll see. Some of them will claim to be pro-life, but then they'll die anyway. <laughs> I'm pro-life and pro-war. God, this is actually probably my favorite track on the album. It's actually pretty good. I, I, I was, really I was like the groove he made with the synthesizer on this one. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. the The lyrics are like you know, you know, they're kind of trite, but they don't really need to be anything. And the big fat drums in the back are also. Oh really my good. god, they rule! Yeah, the drums are fantastic. Jason McGurk, like, it's like ladies and it, gentlemen. It, <laughs> Every time we like the drums, we just need to say, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Mugger. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think it's like the fact that he's not trying to say anything particularly profound on this one is why I like it. Because I, he didn't yeah. he didn't have a chance to write himself into the dirt. Um which he's done a couple of times. I mean, I it's, think it's, that's it's kind of the simple. point. I think that's kind of the point yeah. of this song is that it's like I mean, especially when, you know, we've got that whole war on terror going. It's just like, we're kind of trying not to, you know, yeah, people are dying, but let's try not to think about it. Like people die, la da da. <laughs> people die. There they go. Uh, you cannot say, I did not tell you so, you know, I mean, it, it's, it could be in reference to a lot of things, but it's kind of just like how we try not to think about all the horrible ways people are dying. And like today, I mean, like, oh, yeah. you bring know, it, bring it into 2020 and America's not- literally just a death cult. Right. And yeah, it's like, oh, coronavirus is not a thing. I mean, only 100,000 Americans have died from it. It's fine. We're, you know, we're out of it now. Let's uh let's take our masks off and go uh, go make out. Go to McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> I was in like a discount grocery store to buy masks cuz they were the only place nearby that had them. And they had like all their shelves were so close together and there was like a million people in the store. I almost had a fucking panic attack. It was nuts. Mm. I, I like some people are just people have stopped giving a shit entirely. Was and anyone wearing masks in the store? A few. Not very many though. Yeah. It's become Which, a Which like I, I was thing. only in for the masks. Once I was out, we went to a different grocery store and they actually have like, you know, measures set up to make yeah. it so that you are apart from people and it's a big store, so that was nice. But yeah, no, like this this song is kinda it's kinda tongue in cheek about the way America is a death cult. Like it's like mm-hmm. 
it's very it's like it's it's very it, he's say he's saying like people die la di da but it's like not <clears throat> normal that we are like it's this. got it gives the day got a that line about je ne sais quoi <laughs> yeah god <laughs> it's got that line about uh it's got that line about the confidential memos all getting leaked mm. mhm uh, yeah it's weird you can't it's more, weird folks more get more freaked more by the day yeah yeah all the different ways we push this uh all the death aside and just uh Go about our days. Yeah, that one yeah. really it, it works really well in the context of the Iraq War, and it works very well in the context of like you know coronavirus, the war on drugs, and of course like how some people think about you know police killings. Mm-hmm. They're just like, do you, do you think after he do you think while he was writing this he changed his his tune about the war? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, he didn't seem too pleased with the with the Republicans going into the election. Yeah, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the Democrats also voted overwhelmingly for the war. So, what would the change which, even which be? Which makes it good, actually. Yeah, it means it was the good war. <laughs> God, I love how we fucked up in the past, but this one's the good one. Like how at, <laughs> at, at the end, I believe it or not, I'm trying to cheer you up. <laughs> I can see it's not succeeding. <laughs> it's okay, Travis. We know you tried. We know you tried. <laughs> and yeah, no, that's that's. I, I think that's probably my favorite track on the whole album. I think it, I think it really worked for me. I think what he was going for really stood through. And next up, we have the prequel to Blackfish, Song for the Orca. Inspired the documentary, yes. This song is for the orca Swimming round in circles at SeaWorld Someday you'll drown the dude with the clipboard someday Yeah. <laughs> well known. Holla back. F- Holla back <laughs> is the first lyric in this song. The song God. is fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, I love a good Tarantino movie. I love a good revenge tale. And this is like nature having its revenge. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great song. And it's got, it's got uh, that dismemberment playing vibe in that it's still, it's, it's, it's catchy and it's got a good beat to it, but still got that kind of like melancholy feel to it of, you know, mm-hmm. some of the more, you know, this one isn't, it isn't supposed to be silly, but a lot of the stuff you could consider kind of dark comedy, if you like that. Uh, I, I, you know. I feel like that's definitely like the the, the way he's, uh, the way he's phrasing the revenges mm-hmm. is definitely going yeah. for kind of a dark comedy angle. Like someday you'll find a sweet aorta. Yeah, the someday, pit bull. Someday, someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the pit bull, right? Oh, man. One will fall over that railing someday. I'll see the story on MSNBC, and it feels so right. This is a lie, though. It's not Hammurabi. Uh, <laughs> or, oh, Harambe. Harambe. I'm already Harambe, forgetting the Harambe. name of the poor gorilla. Poor gorilla. Yeah. Uh, that poor guy. God, that was like, what, five years ago now? At least. Yeah, that was a while ago. And there's no songs about it at all, and we're not talking about any songs about it. Well, here you go. The song is for the ape now, staring out through the bars with comprehending eyes at dull and useless people. That's the only one that doesn't involve maiming. The ape, the ape yeah. just wants to chill. Just doesn't want to be in the cage. Yeah, because he has comprehending eyes. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm yeah. Smarter. Meanwhile, the python wants to crush air from somebody's lungs. Yeah. <laughs> someday. Yeah. So the orca. I don't know the first one. Though. Someday you'll drown the dude with the clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> This one also just seems very like primed for kind of a sing along. It does. Yeah. It's it's very mm-hmm. sing songy. 
which is like fun with the subject matter. A song about escaping, which really kind of dovetails well into the next song as well. Yeah, I, I just don't see like a zero. Even at the, like, I don't see how you got to think with with a zero that there are no redeeming factors to the album. But we've just talked about like other than the get me off of this coins, which were you know we're like ah, I don't know could go without them. <laughs> you got I mean we've said positive things about every other track, and I think there's a lot of kick ass tracks here. I think a lot of it is just um, I think it's a certain pretension. Oh yeah, because it's like the way he's saying these things are in very very simple. And very, you know, kind of one-dimensional ways, almost. Mm-hmm. And which I don't I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. Um, this was around the time that they started, like, going absolutely apeshit for Colin Malloy. Yeah, they, <laughs> they want someone who's saying a lot of things. Yeah. This is Colin a, Malloy yeah. has many words. Travis Morrison does not have enough words for us anymore. This isn't literary enough. I, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because Picaresque was within the same year. Yeah. Mm. And also has Chris Walla on it. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, hey, I uh, when I, I started writing for Punk News in 2002 when I was in college, but the first year that I did a staff, I was asked to do a staff end-of-the-year list was 2004, and this album came in at number 14 on my top 20, and I started it, my little blurb, Pitchfork be damned. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I said, right uh, for it. yeah, I said the former D plan wonder now has no one to hold him back and he can do whatever the hell he wants. Maybe that makes for an errant song or two, but I love those as well. This man can do no wrong. He's my boy. My boy. <laughs> do you guys want to guess what my number one was for a nice little tangent in 2004? 2004. Oh. Was it the spine? Uh, no, the spine, embarrassingly. So, well, I've, I've stated on the, my podcast that the spine is my least favorite. They might be giant sound. Doesn't mean I don't like it, but I put it at number five in my five biggest disappointments of 2004. Wow. <laughs> so what, you got any other guesses for the number one? It was an American oh, Idiot. I'm trying to remember that what else came high. out that year. You guys Album. actually, I believe, talked about it on the Waves episode that I listened to. Oh, shit. Because if only the, I could imagine, remember. Because of the imagine producer. remember anything we've ever said. <laughs> because of the producer of King of the Beach. Oh, yeah. I, now I have to go look that up again. <laughs> the thing is, as, as, as I've said before, Greg, when I say something on a podcast, it immediately leaves my brain, and I've never, I'm never able to think of it again dude, after that. Dude, you're telling me. I'm, t- I'm like 20 episodes ahead of recording this movie, a podcast. Anyway, okay. was it Modest Mouse? Could it have been? Yes, yeah. it was Modest Mouse. Good news for people who love bad news. That was my number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, for- okay, it was the only thing that Dennis Herring produced in 2004, so apparently he put a lot of work into it. Now, and I do like Travis saying a lot, that's why I wanted to do this episode. I probably, though here I have it above Magnetic Field's Eye and Ryle Kelly More Adventurous, which I would definitely, those would have bumped way up and uh, past that uh, yeah. and looking back on it. But at the time, again, I think this review kind of just made me dig in and just listen to this record even more. I'm like, fuck you, this record is good, man. <laughs> it's not Emergency and I, but it's got fucking, you know, bangers on it. We didn't call I mean, them bangers kinda- at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about uh, that's kind of how I feel about Andrew WK's "I Get Wet." Like prior to their Mea Culpa review in 2012. Um, oh yeah, got it. So their good. only review up was 0.6 for so so long, and I'm like, yeah, this album's <laughs> dumb, but it's my dumb album. I dressed up as Andrew WK for Halloween in 2002. <laughs> it's a good and easy costume. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> you just need long hair and fake blood and a white t-shirt. That's exactly Easy. what I had. Yep. And I, uh, I had to. I <laughs> when I went to the thrift store to look for white jeans, I could only find women's jeans, but I, I fit in them, <laughs> and it, it worked out fine. I, and then I went around, and stomped on them in the dirt in front of my house uh, for a while to get them looking real or real nasty. Speaking of fun. the waves episode, you also had a factoid about uh, "Just Like Honey" by the Jesus and Mary Chain. Oh yeah, yeah. So the famous beats, the boom, ba boom, ba. The very first uh, recording of that, at least the one that has inspired all these other ones, is "Be My Baby" by the Ronettes, written by Phil Spector. And the of course, yes, and that one even it's got the castanets and everything, and you'll hear a lot of uh, bands that uh, I was just listening to a Laura Stevenson song called "Master of Art" that also starts with it. Um, you got to put like a big reverby tambourine in there or whatever. But the story is, I'm blanking on the name of the drummer. I don't think it was one of the Wrecking Crew guys. I don't think it was Hal Blaine. But um, but the 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 way they ch- cranked out songs and albums so quickly is that they were just really good at catching on to things and like working in cool patterns. And the what the what the drummer said about it in an interview is that he wasn't quite ready when they counted off the song. And he actually whiffed on beat two to only hit beat four with the snare. So then he just continued the pattern to make it seem intentional. So he was planning on it being, he was planning on it being boom, boom, boom. But he whiffed the two, so it went boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Which I think is just amazing because it's this iconic beat that everyone steals. And I actually have a, a, a new song going that I'm like, I get, I'm just like I'm giving in. I'm going to use that beat for one of my songs. Oh, you might as well. <laughs> it, you just you just have to. It's a rite of passage. That's such a good adaptation too. Like being able, like figuring out before the end of that second measure that that oh yeah I guess I'll just continue with that. <laughs> I guess you got to be kind of <laughs> quick on the fly if you're a drummer in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those studio guys like they were they were paid good money to record like a whole album in a day yeah. back then in the '60s. Yeah. Are we ready for any open door? Sure. I think so. Yeah, I'm losing my mind here. Cause they think nothing through. No, they only react. My headache is worse. But my bags are all packed now. Any open door looks good to me now. I think that this is such a good follow from uh, from Song for the Orca, just because yeah, Pitchfork Pitchfork definitely disagrees that this is a good song. Well, they could suck it, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it just like again, like just following like the very simple themes laid out on this album, the song about escaping and maiming, followed just by the song about escaping. It works. Mm, it's a good mm-hmm. follow up. Yeah, definitely. I, I like how it um, goes into kind of like. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of like a a kraut rocky shoegazy thing towards the the back half of the song, mm. like the the like a motoric beat. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very pitchforky thing of you to say. It is those two sentences. <laughs> it's almost like I've been reading this website a long time. Um, and there's Glockenspiel on this one. I'm he's got fucking cowbells in the latter half of this song. Ooh. The and, part where he's just kind of like vocalizing as that beat plays. I'm yeah. literally listening to it right now. I just felt like putting it on. Yeah, it is a very shoegazy kind of thing there to just get ethereal with the vocals. Yeah, it, it sort of like slowly eases you into it throughout the song. 
Yeah, it's got a good build. It's a good song, and it, and again, kind of fits in with the kind of moodiness of uh, change the the mm-hmm. the Dismember Plan album. Yeah, it was sort of Brit poppy feeling to me. Yeah, it's very kind of Kinks or something like the when the Kinks go acoustic. I think this is a, this is probably the part of the song where he pulls off the higher register the best too, because uh-huh. like I generally think he does best when he's in his kind of talk singing at his normal like lower kind of vocal range. Um, he kind of pulls off like a kind of almost like a Rob Crowish kind of vocal on this track mm. on the mm-hmm. first parts of each of the the stanzas. Do you do you listen to a lot of Pinback, Greg? Uh, I wouldn't say they're one of my favorite bands, but I'm very I'm fairly well versed in them. Yes. You can at least summon what a Rob Crow vocal sounds like in your head. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I reviewed at least one of his solo records for Punk News. I don't remember which one. Yeah, he just put out a whole bunch of covers. Actually, I needed to actually check that out. Yeah, his new cover album is actually pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. He's just really good at recording acoustic guitar at this point because yeah. he's been doing it for so long. <laughs> when you're in as many bands as him. Yeah. Seriously, the dude just can't stop. He, I don't know, he, he might have close to as many bands as he has albums. <laughs> <laughs> One of those restless guys. What was that really, wasn't, didn't he have a really obscenely named like metal Oh, Goblin thing? Cock. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly springs to mind. Yeah, no, naturally. Goblin Cock. That- I always think about Goblin Cock uh, <laughs> when uh, there is a, a Nardwar interview of Odd Future, yes. and he he gives Tyler the Creator a Goblin Cock record, yep. and Tyler's just like Goblin Cock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an all-time great Nardwar interview and an all-time great yeah. gift. Yeah, it's very good. Um, after this is part th- part C of Get Me Off This Coin. Fought a war, they saved the world now from evil undistilled. And yeah, you know, to do the job right, a lot of folks were killed. No, no one wanted to get involved, it nearly was too late. Oh, they said there was no risk to us, but risk comes to those who will wait. Six million. Which is about which president? This one's I'm Roosevelt. Trying to remember. Yeah, this is Roosevelt. Okay. This is this is a track that um, the, the article that I mentioned earlier that was in the Nation made made them think that he was pro war because <laughs> the whole track <laughs> is about how like people uh, how how America hesitated getting into World War II and mm-hmm. maybe uh maybe there would have been less deaths if America joined earlier and uh that's a dangerous road to go down <laughs> well i mean are we going to argue that uh we shouldn't defeat the nazis i mean this was one war that needed to happen <laughs> yeah i mean that's not why they joined the war though <laughs> right right yeah it it conveniently ended up in such a way yeah and then you're saying at the end, like when George and his boys did get to Auschwitz, um, the Red Army liberated Auschwitz. Let's let's get the facts straight here, Travis. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Russia lost more people than anybody. Um, yeah, I'm I firmly I'm firmly in old man status now. I, I'm actually in like episode three of uh, Ken Burns' The War documentary. <laughs> so that's that's how old I am now. I mean, you know, watching Ken Burns. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, fucking, I've watch jazz and baseball a couple of um <laughs> but uh his other two big subjects yeah well i still need to see the uh i've heard good things about the the country country music one but uh i always get ken burns and rick steves mixed up in my head what <laughs> and, and steve dave from uh clerks yeah <laughs> and steve <laughs> get him steve dave <laughs> you tell him steve dave <laughs> 
I think about I think about mall rats way too much because I live like ten minutes away from the mall where it was shot. You do? Oh, yeah, the Eden Prairie Mall. It's yeah. so it's still there. It hasn't failed like every other mall. It well, <laughs> it's still there. They they continue to renovate it, but I wouldn't say that anything but like the movie theater in it is really that popular. How about the escalator rides? Are they still good? The kids still <laughs> riding the escalators. <laughs> It, they must be because, like, yeah, the, the, they still have escalators for sure. <laughs> when a bloodbath ensues, <laughs> I miss Jason Lee. The, where the hell is that guy? Clearly, he uh, went back to skateboarding. Did he though? He was a good skater. I have no idea, actually. Oh, man. So I'm trying to think of what I, he's even done. What Alvin he even and doing? the Chipmunks. And then, uh, he's done Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> some of the most recent things he's done. Yeah. I'll tell you, as far as early out sitcoms goes, My Name is Earl was pretty was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, which also had Ethan Suplee in it, who was in Mallrats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently a lot of the people involved in that show were Scientologists. <laughs> really? <laughs> and Jason Lee also is one. He is? Oh, man. Are you, you sure? I know, right? Damn it. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Though Beck says that he was never one. Now, that's... Uh, did you guys that's, see that that's recent what news? That's what he's sticking to? Yeah, he's like, oh, well, I was, you know, supposed to be in it, but I never really was one. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, I mean, he at least okay. has the excuse of being born into it. Right. Most people don't have that excuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that very strange circumstance of being born into Scientology. <laughs> it's just, it hasn't been around for that to be true of many people. Yeah. True. Yeah. And then right. uh, moving into Che Guevara posting. Sometimes I wonder what the old dude would make of broken windows and pink hair. Would he throw down his old world sneer? Would he care? Maybe he'd cheer. Maybe he'd just find the twins game. And he'd sit back in the old chair and pop a beer. Yeah. Do either of you know anybody who had a Che Guevara poster? Uh, my wife, Cara, Cara's a, she's a Spanish professor, and she knows a fair amount about uh, you know South American and Latin American history and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has a shirt that I believe is by The Onion. It's Che Guevara wearing a Che Guevara shirt. <laughs> it's a shirt oh, of Che Guevara wearing a Che Guevara shirt. <laughs> that's real good. It's fantastic. I don't know. I feel, like, my... I feel like by the time I hit college, it was less in vogue. Yeah. To have yeah. Che Guevara shirts in your in your dorm or shirts Scar- Scar- posters. <laughs> Scarface posters are still very much a thing people buy for their dorms though. Yeah, Bob, Bob, Bob Marley, Marley posters. I actually had a yeah. Ball Rats poster in my college dorm. <laughs> the main poster I had in my uh, college dorm was a five foot map of Middle Earth, um, which is currently hanging on the wall across from me. Wow, man! None of my posters like once you move a couple of times, those things are fucked. Well, see, this this poster is an absolutely garbage shape, but since it's a map, it works. Ah, looks it, more it fits and more the weathered. Aesthetic. Sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, this one has the kind of like the sort of like old fashioned stereo recording technique of putting certain percussion instruments only in one channel, which I always do. Yeah, it's got the tambourine only on the right side. Mm-hmm. It always kind of drives me nuts when I'm listening on headphones. Oh, well, then don't listen to any outdoor floor albums. That's just a, <laughs> a trick I learned. Wait, man, t- uh, there was, there's been a lot of people I've studied production under, and 
one one uh one guy is almost like man it's either down the middle or completely left completely right there's no in between you gotta go gotta pick a side and yeah and and typically i like a lot you gotta pay attention what the drummer's doing if the drummer's on the hi-hat and you got the hi-hat pan left gotta put that tambourine to the right there even it out <laughs> yeah no well, yeah see i feel like the pe- the problem is that people don't often even it out things pan to one side if it's if it feels even is mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Things pan to one side where it's just like, it's just on the one side. I just, it makes me, I usually just take the other headphone off my ear and pretend I'm just listening to it through one ear. Because <laughs> it, it where, like physically bothers me. Weren't there a number of uh, of Beatles albums where it was just all the instrumentation on one side and that's then the vocals the on the other side? That's how the stereo mixes of the albums are, and that's yeah. why everyone recommends the mono mixes of those albums. Yeah. Yeah, it's because the way they bounced them down back in the mono days they were committing the rhythm track to entirely you know the rhythm section the drums and the bass are all on one track so then we're like hey we got stereo technology now now you got you know (laughs) paul and ringo are all the way over on the left and then you got the guitars on the right let's put them as far away from me as possible (laughs) it's pretty wacky i remember being in uh uh, I don't know. I was out in California. I went to one of the Amoebas. I think it was the Berkeley one. And the speakers in the store were like just like these really huge stereo speakers. And they were really on opposite sides of the store. And something by the Beatles came on. And I was at clear at one end of the store. And like yeah. all you could hear, it was just sounded like, yeah, like a r- rhythm section breakdown. Like, what's this oh, remix? God. Yeah. <laughs> rhythm section one ad. Yep. No others need apply. The thing about uh, this song, also, I feel. Go ahead. <laughs> the thing about the song, I feel, is it's another one of the ones like I was saying earlier, where it's like he raises a point. I don't think he goes anywhere good with it. Mm. <laughs> like it's like, oh, those those the fashionable communists of today. Oh, my old man was it was my old grandpa was a union man, but he was also a racist. No moral. <laughs> <laughs> And it it the the granddad story is also set in Minnesota for some reason, which I guess maybe that's actually the case. His granddad was from here. Mm. He was saying that was like his was that his Norwegian grandpa or something. Was yeah, that... yeah, came yeah, from, from Norway, Norwegan. in the spring of nineteen twelve. So that that would track. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's that's the source of the Minnesota accent. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He ran for Congress in forty eight and almost worked as a red. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but the son of a bitch wouldn't pay for his daughter's college. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and then, yeah, sometimes I wonder what the old dude would have made of broken windows and pink hair. It's like, oh, the, the communists today with their pink hair. Good to know that that trope goes all the way back to the early 2000s and isn't just like, you know, the common vanguard of the weirdo alt-right of today. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's, that's really where that all comes from. Yeah. No, it's not where that all comes from. It's like that's that's their their main point. Yeah, I, I don't know if I really had any thoughts about communists in two thousand four. I was too busy being in high school. <laughs> yeah, I was I was too busy being Greg. Cover your ears. So you don't know how young I am. Um, Thirteen years old in two thousand and four. Fuck off. <laughs> I was I could have been your teacher. I was teaching uh, music up till eighth grade. I was teaching a K K to eight music in two thousand four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, was, I would yeah. be a very bad student because I suck at music. No, I'd I'd, <laughs> I'd help you get better. I, we'd rock it, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the last shows that I went to before uh, quarantine dropped on our heads was Stereo Lab, and this mm. song kind of gets me back into that same kind of rhythm space. 
I that they like that. to play in. Yeah. Yeah. Very kind of persistent, very, uh, the tone of the keyboards I could see as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This one, though, I must it, say, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, I like that, that, that reference there, and I like Stereo Lab a fair bit, but this one, for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just it being at the back half of the album, um, this one, I was like, wait, how does this one go again? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm yeah. playing, I'm playing it quietly in one of my earbuds right now, and it's... Yeah, I just did that, too. <laughs> It's got a lot of words to it. Um, yeah, you're criticizing him for not having enough words before, but so here they are. <laughs> yep. Well, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm angry about his pink hair. No. <laughs> I like um, the, the the lyrics on Genius are really weird for this one. Some of the some of the lines just didn't come through right. Um, they had noisy heads, and it's written as moist heads. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, thanks. I think Jesus. that might have been an audio. Then that might have been an autocorrect there. Whoops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love yeah, at the end like, though. Again, the the him bringing humor into to every song said, yeah. Would he care? Maybe he'd cheer. Maybe he'd just find the twins game and sit back in the old chair and pop a beer. <laughs> As all of our granddads are wont to do here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, I just felt like he he never really made a point with this one. It's not really mm-hmm. it's not really a stirring critique of the of the of the common college communist, of which there are many critiques you can make. Yeah. And yeah. I say someone who like you know probably has more things I agree with with the average college communist than disagree with. Um, it could be a it could be a, a position of great convenience and you know just kind of kind of just point just just posturing that ideology at people just to to feel superior it's something that definitely happens yeah especially people who aren't really thinking very hard and just you know just put a che guevara poster up and call it a day right right and it's just it didn't really feel like he was it felt like he wanted to like excoriate those kind of people because that that was some of the some of the stuff he went into in his weirdo blog post was like Mm. weirdo hippies who don't want to save people yeah yeah We've and, we've got a uh, we've got a hypocrisy based song uh, coming up next here. Yeah, I'll move right on to it. I don't have anything else to say about this one. Yeah, we can move on. Yeah, the word cop. <laughs> absolutely the kind of song i can see pitchfork hating him making <laughs> like it's just it's it's very just hypocrisy is bad okay yeah i like <laughs> the words to it they very the the words to it are very good but they also read like he wrote it in about an hour well yeah it reads like a fucking like how you open a best man speech by saying webster says <laughs> about love <laughs> <laughs> Like, it looks like he tore out a dictionary page and stuck it at the top of his lyrics booklet. Moral. Noun. A rule you live by even if no one's around. But uh, fucking give it up for Jason McGurr's drum fill at the beginning of this fucking song. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was really, I was really liking the uh, the instrumentals on the on this little stretch here. Definitely. And and the, the like, fucking Peanuts-ass piano going on. <laughs> yeah, it's a Vince Guaraldi kind of... Yeah, that's Pseudo exactly jazz. what it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> like it though, very bouncy though, and it's very, 
very stripped down, but like the drums are still played very hard, even though it's really not like the rest of the instrumentation is hard rocking tune, but the drums are like crash, 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 crash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the piano's just kind of driving the whole time. Yeah, it's very bouncy. It, it, it holds the melody a little bit because he's just kind of, he is kind of toxing you on this one, which is, as as I've stated before, his best mode that he's most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, he does kind of hit the higher register on this one, and this is another one where I think he, he works well with it. And it's like every time he, he, he manages to work well in that register is when he sounds the most like Rob Crow to me. I think it's this just is, uh, the way the way the rhythm the way the way his voice is uh, the way he he follows the rhythm on this one kind of reminds me of that too. This is I think is this the only track on the album where he's not the he, he's not the lead singer for every line. Yeah. Where are the other lines mm-hmm. again? Like oh right, uh, who made you like yeah the, the stuff in the later yeah. half of the song there. Right. Yeah, I think it's the only spot that has like other vocals that aren't just chorus. Yeah, for for like that weird call and response section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who? Okay. Oh, we got uh, Amanda Fatone and Kendall Norden. All right. Yeah. The Travestani Women's Chorus. <laughs> I feel like these these liner notes only exist on Discogs and on the actual disc because yeah. nobody else cares. Okay. Though I need to read you this The <laughs> Republic of Travestan. I got surface composition of the Republic of Travestan 75% skin, 80% hair, 4% nails, 2% eye, 1% nipple. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is one percent nipple. That's it. That, that's kind of a lot. A lot of nipple. Yeah, if I'm yes. thinking like surface area of the body, I think that's a pretty high percentage of nipple. Yeah, he's. You know, you heard it here first, folks. Travis Morrison has huge nipples. <laughs> we got to the bottom of that. Man, he sure does say. So don't talk to me about decency. You wouldn't know if it fucked you up the ass. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. Thanks for that one. <laughs> And then he rhymed ass with crass. <laughs> and now I'm getting crass, yeah. There's there you go. A lot of self-deprecating yeah. stuff in here and self-referential. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely and a record course, made a, for a people che- who already know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like, the, the cheeky offhand reference to pedophilia in the Catholic Church, which, you know, I'm sure was all the rage at the time. And is like, you know, a good, it's a pretty decent thing to bring up in a song about hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um. Not something that that people will make as flippant references about these days. Right. You're as Christian <laughs> as a bishop in a toy store. <laughs> well, see, hey, it's definitely boy's dorm. Genius has the wrong words there. Oh, really? Yeah. A boy's yeah, dorm? Yeah, no, okay, I, I listened to it a couple worse. of times to be sure. Oh. I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your word cop friend. <laughs> <laughs> Are we just assuming that people that listen to this also know that Generally, they also yes. know they might be giants? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking in the lyric booklet right now, but it's all written, like, annoyingly as one long thing. Like, no oh, stanza yeah. breaks or anything? No song breaks. If Oh, God. There's not even any titles in here. Like, the beginning of the lyrics just starts off with, I freed the slaves. It doesn't even say, the, give me off this coin. The lyrics booklet of uh, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea is like that, too. Yeah. And I think uh, Strawberry Jam is like that a little bit, too. So yeah, I would I know that lyrics and strawberry words. jam are just wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if I'd ever find this toys this boys dorm thing if I tried. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll 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 let you uh, retweet this episode later and say yes, it's boys dorm. <laughs> I'm still attempting to find it. I read through the entire album why. and made sure. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still looking for it. I don't know why it's it's fruitless. This this yeah. album does appear to have a lot of lyrics if you look at it like this. <laughs> ample words 
Oh, this album's got glockenspiel in it, and it's got words? Oh, wait, I found it. It is Boys Dorm, yeah. Yours Christian is a bishop in the Boys Dorm. Yeah, I get the feeling that somebody who didn't own this album transcribed it once, and then every website copied it forever. Ain't that just the way? <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's what we ran into with uh, the Treats episode. Yeah, yeah. People, <laughs> people did that, like, just just tried to go right. Oh, yeah. And well, the, the, everything's so modulated on that album, you can't even hear the words half the time. Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 been uh, compressed to just be vowel sounds. It's vowel sounds yeah. and it's all one rectangle. Yeah. yeah. I like the way at the right at the end of the song here where you're singing don't talk to me about reality. It's very like it very much reminds me of 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 classic D plan. Super D plan right there. The, the right way there. he, he lilts the vocals on that. Yeah. Cuz as as it is the world is not all right. Well, you got that right, Travis. You got that right at least. <laughs> he did. After this one comes Matt's favorite song, Angry Angel. I don't want to fight. I don't want to hear your talk. I only want to know when to walk and when to run. And I don't want revenge. And I don't want to save my pride. I only fucking hate this song <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah why okay he's he is saying on it says on the notes that there's a string chorus on this uh, there's a string orchestra on this album that is a fucking midi violin and it sounds like shit <laughs> uh hold on i gotta bring this i just i i think that when he's singing that in the higher register it just doesn't really land for me most of the time because his voice is very thin and he does that for this whole song we're all just listening to it now trying to figure out if that's the case I mean, it's it's either it's either their MIDI violins or they're compressed to hell, and I don't like the sound of them. Yeah, it's just curious. Hmm. It's got a little bit of a like '90s movie soundtrack feel to it. Yeah. Oh yeah, this could absolutely play over the credits of like a C-list drama. <laughs> Strings do sound very fake. I don't know. I mean, I've recorded you know real you know my friends that are string players i've recorded stuff for my albums on strings and even even the best string players like if you layer them enough like and it's not going to be as pitch perfect as this and that's that's kind of the idea you know with double tracking and all that kind of stuff is that slight difference in pitch is what makes it sound thick and this Mm -hmm. almost just sounds like like it's just every single one like did they auto-tune the strings or what because it just (laughs) sounds too perfect and like the vibrato is way too uh robotic i don't know yeah yeah that's, mean, that's what's making me think that it was a synth it's just uh, the the way it sounds it sounds exactly like the violin synth on my old casio keyboard so yeah but yeah i'm looking at the yeah the credits here this has all the it even has a conductor like a, listed <laughs> i'm looking i'm looking at the lyrics right now and it's just i don't remember any of these because i just hated the instrument so much that I just, this song just never <laughs> registered in my head <laughs> so if anyone if you guys want to talk about this one you can go ahead i just don't i don't have much else to say about Man. it yeah this says it has three violinists two viola players one cellist uh or sorry two cellists uh double bass and dave dave durst fred durst's brother conducted no i don't know <laughs> just some guy named durst <laughs> fred went one way and dave went uh you know went the classy way orchestral yeah i, I mean this one i guess like Gotta have a slow song on the album, but yeah, it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, and it's just like it—it's—it's it's functionally the album ender because like there's one more "Get Me Off This Coin" interlude, and then there's a hidden track. Mm-hmm. 
so they just like thinking in proper album chronology this is really like the closing track and the fact that it doesn't do anything for me kind of kind of sours me at the end of the album which is why it's like it took me a second listen to appreciate some of the songs better because i just kind of came out of it like well what the heck was that one (laughs) it's got at least one or two interesting lines of uh of lyrics in here um like i feel your feathers brush my back as i give myself up for the night the crystal fangs shine by the moon and you ask me who you should bite (laughs) but then he follows it up with you but you treat justice like a whore and you're not even close to right uh which is a choice he doesn't that's a line he doesn't mince words here he uh gets right to it you wouldn't know crystal fangs if they fucked you in the ass (laughs) oof oof ouch oof ouch Yeah, there's definitely some things in here where, like, if he had bandmates, they might be like, "Are you sure about that one? Are you, you sure about that one? <laughs> you sure about Both the words and also like one? just their production choice on this one." Yeah, and we got our hmm. we got our uh, last get me off this coin. Yeah, part D. You name a town after me now, and no one there can vote. Tyranny poisoned the world, and we were the antidote. It gave no quarter, and now you use me to choose what doesn't matter. You bitches flip me one more time, and your ass is getting flipped in the hereafter. So get me off. So this is Washington. Are you guys Biggies. proud of me for identifying all the presidents despite not being from the states? <laughs> very, very. I got it. You know Fred who George Moore. Washington is. <laughs> I got George Washington. <laughs> Six foot twenty, made of radiation. <laughs> He'll kick you apart. He'll kick you apart. Ooh. Ooh. Um, and this is really hey, this it's is funny the that long they're one. saying uh, you name a town after me and no one there can vote. And uh, DC statehood is actually something that might come up on the docket in the, in the next government. For real? that'll be good. Wow, really? a lot of people live there. A lot of people live there and sure don't get much representation. And Travis is one of them. And Travis is one of them. Yeah. I think he still lives there, as far as I know. Travis. And this is the long one. And you, and you guys were saying, I can't remember who said it, that this was like the one when you're like, okay, that's enough. But this is the one where it goes longer <laughs> than the rest. Yeah. It, it's got, it's got a little Dave, bit uh, more of an that, outro. Yeah. 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 And, and like the first time I listened to this, I didn't get the, the president uh, theme in each uh in each set of lyrics. Oh, so yeah. I was just so I was just lost the entire time. I'm like, what is what is the thing about the coin? Like, what is this a centrism thing? I I'm, I don't know. I I do like ending this one with uh yeah, oh who did tell you life 50 50 life's 50 50 I can't abide and oh who who did tell you life's either or now they surely lied. Because America has been poisoned by the two-party system. It has been. True. People are unable to imagine alternatives because they are so stuck in this electoral reality where promises are made and not kept. <laughs> then they really then makes they pull you the football away. <laughs> and this is deep thoughts with Matt. <laughs> you bitches flip me one more time and your ass is getting flipped in the hereafter. George Washington's gonna kick your fucking ass. See, just something about the Travis's lyrics. Like, yeah, he does seem like he's like, like I said, like having a midlife crisis here. Where he's like, I'm he's gonna just be real, real childish with some of these lyrics. But saying, just saying, bitches and ass, and then a word like hereafter, which is a very kind yeah. of old-fashioned word. Like, your ass is getting flipped in the hereafter. It's just something just really, 
like they might be giants would never say a line like that but it's kind of in that they might be giant style of humor where it's like just the juxtaposition of these two things is what's funny about it side notes while while he was uh recording this album um he released uh, i think matt was saying some early versions of this as mp3s uh and also a cover an acoustic cover of Ludacris's what's your fantasy <laughs> Is that what you guys were talking about in the Facebook thread before when I was yes. like I walked into <laughs> yes. the middle of something about a covered so so it's it's horrible apparently <laughs> oh it's so bad yeah I mean I'm I, I'm yeah. very familiar with the ludicrous song what's your fantasy because that's like early 2000s hip hop is most of what I grew up on because of my older siblings mm-hmm. um and that song has like a lot of rhythm to it and ludicrous has a lot of personality and occasionally like the way that travis will sing like this isn't like the in the in the terms of like acoustic covers of hip-hop go it's not like completely removing all elements of it being hip-hop from it like he's basically just covering it but his instrument happens to be an acoustic guitar right Uh, so he's not like he's not not doing like a shitty white cover He's not doing a shitty white boy cover in it in the same way that most people do shitty white boy covers of hip hop songs. Like ben he's doing Folds. a shitty white yeah. boy cover of it <laughs> in that he has no personality while rapping. Everyone's first reaction to that comment is, "Oh, like Ben Folds, like Ben Folds, yeah, like Ben Folds, yeah." <laughs> Which he has stopped playing. He's like, "That was not." He has stopped playing it, but that. he did very much say the n word in his recording of that song. The I think the drummer says the n word, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he the drummer does the Snoop Dogg lines. Yeah. <laughs> it's like either I'll give way, those to you, someone buddy, it to has been nonetheless yeah. said it. <laughs> Yikes! But it's cheeky because <laughs> it's cheeky. But yeah, no, he's it's it's a pretty straightforward cover, but it just has no personality to it whatsoever. Because that's the main thing about Ludacris. He's a very like bombastic personality. Puts a lot of yeah. force into his lines, sure, and none of that is there. Right. And also, also, he didn't put much effort into his beat that he made. I don't think Travis is uh, too fast <laughs> or too furious enough to handle it <laughs> that said but- <laughs> he does not he does not slip over any of the lines he clearly did it he clearly practiced it enough times that he at least wraps it to the rhythm and on the rhythm so i can I'll, i will give him that but it's still sucks. tell your boyfriend not to be mad at me <laughs> but let's not let a bad cover bring down this album because he did not put it on the album he knew better he did not put it on the album yeah uh. but david just wanted to put a clip of it in here and so now he can do that oh boy <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll maybe I'll put it as the as the uh, the outro to this uh, album uh, or the outro to this episode rather than put it in between. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, probably fine. The actual album, right, right, because we do still have the uh, the hidden track. We do. Uh, I don't know if the the real title of it is actually represent or if that's just what people decided it was called. Yeah, it's completely unlabeled on my version. So like the the CD uh, ID didn't have anything on it. Yeah, it's it's obviously not on the back of of my my favorite secret. Yeah. Oh, even in the lyric, uh, even in the lyric booklet, it ends with so get me off of this coin. It doesn't. uh, Yeah, they don't. But as far uh, as like secret tracks go, they didn't put that much of a gap. It's yeah, like no, an extra it's about 50. a minute. It's like, yeah, it's like a minute total. Um, I really like the way this one sounds. 
I kind of wish yeah. he, he'd stuck with uh, he he'd done production like this on more of the other tracks because like he does like the the high vocals, but the readiness is covered over by the uh, by the way that they uh, they they did his voice. Like he kind of has like a robot-y kind of filter on it. Yeah, the music very is modulated. almost another uh, stereo lab kind of song. Yeah, no, that yeah. that that is definitely uh, that's definitely where I'd go with uh, with a comparison on this one. The lyrics that, that are on Genius are my best attempt at transcribing this song because nice. I couldn't find it anywhere else on the internet. You're the first one to discover the secret track to make it all the way through this album to the secret track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone here everyone hears the second get me off this coin, they're like, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can't blame them. Well, do you guys think this would be a better album if he well, okay, it sounds like you think that it would be better if he just deleted all those, but do you think it would have a better Pitchfork review if he deleted those four sillier songs off of it? Maybe. It would get a one. <laughs> I could still see... I, I think that no matter... I, I think that like just generally the the way that the, the references and themes that he's carrying throughout the album are very simple and surface level, which mm-hmm. again, not necessarily a bad thing, was already enough against him that it wasn't going to get a great score. Mm-hmm. It's I what Pitchfork I, was not looking for at the time. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Pitchfork at the time was very self-serious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they still kind of remain that, but, like, they're they're able to have some fun. Like, we were, we were mentioning on the, uh, on the, Dan, it's like, on, when, t- when talking about Dan Deacon, it's like, the, the area in 2007 where that album came out is, like, pretty much the only time we can imagine them even being into something that silly. Mm. It's a very silly yeah. album. Mm-hmm. It opens with a fucking layered Woody Woodpecker sample, after all. Um, but, like, three this years before only, that, and three years after yeah. that, I can't imagine it. This was only a couple years out from uh, Brent DiCrescenzo's review of Kid A, and Good I think Lord. they were still feeling the reverberations of that guy. Oh, man. That, that is... Did he give it a bad review? That album, I, don't, right? <laughs> I don't remember that review. Did he? Did he not like it? No, no, he basically it, fucked the album over the course of the review <laughs> oh okay <laughs> yeah it, it's probably the most like ridiculous it, it's like the stereotypical pitchfork review that people uh, think about mm-hmm. which is why uh we have uh the sign-off line for this show that we do yeah i had never seen a shooting star before 25 years of rotations and i had never seen de- uh, flaming debris streaking across the sky um tom york placed his face around the microphone as if he was trying to kiss around a large nose and that's about as far as i can remember into it <laughs> what? oh my god it is wow incredible Whew. eventually we're gonna have to cover that album and it will involve us each reading out the entire thing in full <laughs> like a screenplay yeah. yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, there are there are pitchfork reviews that are written in the form of screenplays. They're real bad. <laughs> the the best the, the less said about their more experimental reviews, the better. I I wrote a review once as a recipe, which I actually went over pretty well. People liked it. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I do like that. Once this uh, once this hidden track is over and done with, uh, but yeah, like my thought on this album is it's. Like even even if you don't like the the lyrics of it or the, even the themes of it, it's a competent it's a competently made album. Yeah, yeah. Chris Wallen knew what he was doing. It's it's better than Lulu by Lou Reed and Metallica for sure. Which is yeah that that is the last low review album we did. We did two in a row and then we just haven't done any in a while. Wait, was that a yeah. zero? It was time. Was that not a zero? It no, was like it was a, a one, one point something. One point How zero. How the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. God. This is like, just Lulu a was spiteful. not better than this. Yeah. The review of this is just spiteful. And yeah. yeah. 
it's yeah, it's really kind of sickening because I mean, he did go on and make another. I mean, I guess not technically a solo album, the Travis Morrison and the Hellfighters, but um, and then the this Marilyn Plan reunited and did an album. But he, he uh, for all intents and purposes, he basically disappeared, and yeah. I I think the backlash of this review definitely played a part in in souring him to just putting his art out there and mm-hmm. fuck yeah. fuck this guy for that i mean chris what is it chris fucking dalen or whatever dalen yeah. yeah i i tweeted at him recently after we were uh at, after <laughs> matt and i had initially talked about it yeah i tweeted at him and and he uh did not respond <laughs> but I, was, I was basically like fuck off dude how does it feel to ruin someone's career <laughs> fucking dick I do like the idea of him hearing that a full 16 years after it happened. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, I found this consequence of sound uh, on the for uh, 2014, so even six years ago. But this, I guess, was the 10th anniversary of that bad review. They right. tried to do – it's called Prisoner of Travis Sand, A Failed Oral History. There were enough people that didn't want to talk about it anymore that the guy basically wrote an article and he's like, yeah, that's about all I got because no one wants to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> That was uh, that was similar. There was a guy who went through and like talked to various people about getting a zero from Pitchfork, and actually the only person who did talk to them was Travis Morrison. Oh yeah, <laughs> he actually. I, I I completely forgot about that until this came up. I'm gonna try to find it. Oh yeah, I remember this now. But yeah, uh, I, like yeah, I remember reading it, but I don't remember what he said. So there's this little thing at the end of the consequence of sound. So the, he, Travis did issue a little statement uh, to this guy. He didn't do a full interview with this consequence of sound guy, but he said, uh, "So Travis said it's one of those mid-career albums that life artists make, where they choose fumbling for new things over doing what they know well with a sure hand and maybe less inspiration. Usually those records fade away, except to people really curious about an artist's journey. But of course, there's now a music industry legend around the reception of the poor little tentative thing, and that keeps discussions of it going." So he's 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 essentially slamming Pitchfork and other things like that where, you know, and, and now with the internet, a review is up for us to just click over and look at it right now and have a yeah. podcast about, whereas, you yeah. know, it before might have been in a paper copy of Rolling Stone and then into the recycling bin and no one's talking about it, you know, 16 years later. So, it, I mean, essentially he was like, he's like, you know, maybe I was a little less inspired but I wanted to try some new things, and maybe they didn't go great. And uh, thanks to places like Pitchfork, it uh, couldn't just slide by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like a couple of the, of the people that they tried to contact weren't necessarily people who got zeros, but just people who got uh, a lot of, like, just rough reviews. Mm-hmm. Like, there was uh, one Black Kids album that, like, oh. their, their initial EP got, like, real, real good. And then the debut album got a 3.3 and the only thing they put was a picture of a pug and it said sorry on yeah, it yeah and that's another, it yeah. another dick move the, the only dick one move. the only one i'll allow is the jet review that has the youtube <laughs> video of the monkey peeing in his own mouth <laughs> yeah one day we're gonna have to listen to jet to deal with that um but jet and then was a major would... label band yeah them fuck them who cares i doubt they ever they even on, read yeah, it they were on electra <laughs> Yeah. So, so uh, with the, I, I finally, I did find the article. It's called "When a Negative Pitchfork Review Could End a Career." Um, so he emailed Travis Morrison. Travis Morrison emails back. I regretfully have to decline. Thanks and good luck. And then, like an hour later, said, "I don't know how Liz Fair got a zero and just like started like like just sent like a paragraph <laughs> on how that album didn't deserve a zero. <laughs> and then like followed up later, just being 
like he kind of just skips past and talks to Thurston more for a bit. And he's like, I got another message from uh, from Morrison. Just like I guess he, he asked for like just like a clarifying final statement or something. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I'll just read the statement out in full. Hi, Amos. Thanks, but no. I've been talking about this for over a decade. I would really like to move on. It was a really frightening and awful experience. Everything that goes along with modern internet humiliation stories happened to me in 2004. It was at a much smaller scope since it was smaller scene, but it all happened. I've actually decided to stop doing interviews altogether so I can get away from this. For the most part, people IRL don't see me in this light or bring it up very often or even know what Pitchfork is, but I'm just branded with this as the media sees it. I don't think it'll ever stop, so I think I need to take action to get away from it. Obviously, this email as fodder for anything you do i understand that consider this my last statement on the matter or anything i suppose wow and uh, the guy who wrote the article was like that email breaks my heart a little bit morrison doesn't sound antagonistic at all he sounds resigned yeah because like the other yeah. person who actually talked for this article was thurston moore and Thurston like sonic youth didn't face anything from pitchfork giving them a zero they're like well fuck those guys then like they, right. they had enough critical clout that they could ride that and be fine and they came right back with a couple of records. Like they, they've got some their their final records. Both got pretty good reviews. Yeah, exactly. And like, like uh, it, it clearly did a lot to them. And like, it definitely yeah. didn't. I, I probably wouldn't rate this very. I wouldn't rate it very high overall. There's a lot I liked about it, but there's a lot I really didn't like. And a lot of it, it just comes from like a really primal. While I'm listening to the music, I can like, I can kind of express my feelings about it more accurately than when I try to talk about it afterwards. Mm. which is why this is yeah. very much a record that I had to like put the music back into my ears while we're talking and just remind myself of something. But just on like a primal level, there's something about the composition of this album that really didn't strike me the right way, but I do appreciate that he tried something with it, even though yeah, I think right. that he should at least like he deserves being socked in the face for writing. Get me off this coin party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't mind if, uh, Get me off this coins were off of there. I don't mind them. I, I don't think one should have started the album. And I think maybe cap it off at three, not four of them. It's just, it's a little, a little much. Well, yeah, they could have just um, cut Jefferson because the other three were like sure. not as bad as that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah, definitely. Especially did not age well. Yeah, uh, I mean, people are super into, were super into Jefferson for years because of Hamilton. They're like, dude, that guy raped slaves. Yeah, like we we don't need to we don't he need sucked. to be glorifying this motherfucker. Yeah, not only did he have slaves, but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. But uh, this this album, I think for me, I I really liked it right off the bat. I'd say I don't come back to it as much as obviously the Dismemberment Plan albums. But coming off a of change, like I think I was just looking for something more aggressive, and, and change wasn't giving it to me, and yeah. or or not as dancey. And then this came out, I'm just like hell yeah! Like born in '72, all this like, and the drums are fantastic. Like Jason McGurr's great. He's 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 no Joe Easley. I mean that dude. When I saw them, he broke like six sticks. Uh, yeah. But um. This this album, it was peppy enough. It had that silly sensibility that, you know, I was down for some silliness after such a serious kind of, as far as dismemberment playing goes, a somber album with change. So this one was kind of a welcome uh, turn for me. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it, it probably still, you know, I still think it deserves to be in that, that top 20 I made for Punk News. But yeah. it probably should have come in more at like 19 or 20. Um, I definitely did listen to it a lot, especially when it came out. Um, and I still stand by a lot of it, really. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually we're gonna have to cover Mint Car on this on this podcast because I think it's the only <laughs> I think it's the only uh, They Might Be Giants album that scored high or low enough. Yeah, because <laughs> everything else is just solid in the middle. 
Yeah, they, 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 they tend to give way. They Might Be Giants a round of five, usually. Or just not reviewed at all. Or it's not reviewed yeah. at all. They did put Lincoln on their best album of the 80s, and I think that's the only one that they hold in particularly high esteem. Hmm. They could have done a reissue review of it when the when the new uh, LP came out. When the cool but red they, one came out. Yeah, but they didn't. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they only reviewed Death Grips because I tweeted at them every single day for three months saying to review Death Grips ex-military. I'm still convinced. <laughs> they didn't it's give a shit you. about Death Grips until I t- tweeted at them every single day about it. And yeah. then they became really annoying about Death Grips. So that's my fault, not Anthony Fantano's. Fuck you, Fantano. It's my scene. Greg made, Greg made Bush and you made Death Grips. <laughs> so what who's horrors the, we've unleashed who's, upon the world? Who's the bigger war criminal? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think overall I um I probably would not give it a positive review, but I wouldn't give it a zero. Yeah. There are plenty I, of songs it, I liked if it was like an EP. I could probably give make it a solid a pretty EP out of this. Good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd give it a pretty good out of ten. Yeah, pretty, I don't pretty, know. I'd, pretty I'd, good. I'd probably give it a seven. I mean, I think the the good tracks are good enough, and it's just like if it lost a little bit of that filler, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, like if you just kind of ignore the the coin stuff, I think it's <laughs> yeah. solidly at a seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an album. I think. Yeah, that's an album. That's a spicy album. It has some spicy language on it. <laughs> yeah well uh thank you for listening to tuning fork um i'm david i have another podcast called the stick uh which currently is just me hosting it um i've i've had one episode so far where i had a guest host on uh which was will from uh our noise space co-podcast radish um and uh i i think it's i think it's still going uh pretty well all things considered um We'll we'll uh we'll have to see how that goes in the future. It's a it's a podcast about Homestar Runner, um, and as a millennial, uh, I care a lot about Homestar Runner. So go listen yeah. to that if you also fall into that category. Um, you could follow me on uh Twitter at at Dave's with three V's like waves, and uh, I'll go ahead and let Matt plug his stuff because he has a lot more of it than I do. I mean, most of it's inactive. It's fine. Uh, I'm Matt. I run the podcast collective on which this and many other podcasts are hosted called noisespace.xyz uh we just mailed we just built a new website been doing that for like several months uh yeah i like it a nice consequence of being presently unemployed is that i have a lot more time Mm. to do the stuff that i never had any energy for and rebuilding and completely moving an entire website um with like you know gigabytes upon gigabytes of audio files on it (laughs) to an external server so i don't have to worry about them anymore now everything is nice and smooth going forward. It's nice. I do like a smooth website. It's a smooth website, and we got 26 podcasts on it now. <laughs> Some of them active. <laughs> Including this one? Including this one. Yeah. I, I, I keep one of my podcasts on there almost as a sick joke at this point, because la- we, we only ever recorded two episodes. They were recorded one month apart from each other, so like relatively close together, and that was in 2016. What was that and one about? We probably won't record another one. Um... It was about Canadian culture. It was called The Field Guide to Canadiana. And we both uh. just feel weird about Canada as a country at this point and don't really yeah. feel like encouraging it. Nationalism isn't cool, folks. <laughs> um, I have Elite Full Restore, my Pokemon podcast. Haven't recorded in a little bit, but like there's DLC coming out in like 12 hours. So I'm sure I'll oh, have yeah. something to talk about pretty soon. Um, 
We got Giants Confirmed, which actually has not recorded an episode since we had Greg on. We'll get around to it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I inspire all of you guys to actually make episodes. I think yeah, that's it's like what I, I'm here I've for. recorded zero episodes since Greg um, was on our <laughs> podcast. And I'm, Greg, I'm sure you've recorded a couple dozen. I'm about to put a episode 86. I've recorded up to 107. God damn. Yeah. Good backlog. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm stocking up Patreon episodes now. I just recorded one with nice. a bunch of accordionists to talk about our yeah, favorite accordion Yeah, I saw that. Moments. That sounds sick. Yeah, it's going to be great. And we're doing an all-accordion cover of The Statue Got Me High. Oh, hell oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like instrumental, like the melodies will be accordion. Everything's accordions. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I think there will be actually drums in it, though. I did have people suggest that we just clack the keys around a lot for the <laughs> percussion. <laughs> it's going to be pretty sweet. And Cornmo is going to be on it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, my last podcast is the politics podcast, Henry Kissinger's Pokemon Going to Die. I am going to <laughs> probably be on the next episode of that one because we haven't recorded in like a month um, because none of the, the hosts available to do episodes are black and it just didn't really yeah. feel like a great mm. time to be putting our words out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we decided to take a little break and uh, we'll be coming back with some more. There's so much to talk about. The world is a mess, folks. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at MattGCN and see my takes and see me talk about Pokemon almost exclusively for at least the next week. <laughs> and, Greg, you already plugged your accordion uh, cover of Statue Got Me High. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it, that's, it's not done yet. Podcast. Still working on it. Yeah, this might be a podcast.com. Uh, I also have my Best Midwestern podcast. We just put out two episodes about the history of music in Ohio. Uh, I also am currently editing a big episode with a, um interview with the entire uh, band, the fantastic Chicago emo band called Colossal. That'll be out pretty soon. Um, and I've got two bands, Outdoor Valor. And if you want more of the punk rock variety, Doppelpopolis. Yes, those, nice. those are my things. Good names. Thank you. Good, good band names. Do you know the Duff, what Duff Poplis is a reference from? I don't. We already talked about a guy who did a voice in this cartoon. <laughs> I'm just going to give very weird hints to all them. My little trivia, my little uh, riddles. I'm too sleepy to guess. What is it? What is it? What do we got? <laughs> C-Lab 2021. Oh, hell yeah. Save it for your queen, Doppel Poplis. <laughs> <laughs> it's because me and one of the other guys in the band kind of look like. I don't know. That's... <laughs> Uh, well then, uh, thank you to Animal Style for our uh, opening and closing theme, uh, Open Air, from the album Open Air. Uh, you can find all of their stuff at nmlstyl.com. Um, and thank you to Nikki Flowers of fellow Noise Space podcast, Picking Up Something Good, uh, for making our, uh, making our podcast art. And uh, as we always say... I had never seen a shooting star before. I had never seen a shooting star before. I saw one. <laughs> <laughs> Said the rune there for you. Just jump in there. <laughs> That's fine. Bye, everybody. Bye. On two. I'll give it to me now. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it to me now. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I wanna lick, 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 lick you from your head to your toes And I wanna move from the bed down to the, down to the, the floor And I gotta, oh, uh, oh, uh, you make it so good I don't wanna leave, but I gotta No, 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 well, what's your fantasy? I wanna lick, 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 lick you from your head to your toes And I wanna move from the bed down to the, down to the, the floor 
and I gotta, ah, uh, ah, uh, you make it so good, I don't wanna leave, but I gotta, no, 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 well, what's your fantasy, I wanna get you in the Georgia Dome, on the 50-yard line, with the dirty birds kick the tree, and if you like it in the club, we can do it in the DJ booth, or in the back of the VIP, whipped cream, cherry, strawberries on top, baby, don't stop, keep the door locked, don't knock, while the boat rocks, you go bots, robots, oh, they gotta wait till the show stops, how about on the beach with black sand, lick up your thigh and call my Pac-Man, tabletop and just do the lap dance, rock to the park, to the point, to the flatland, that man is ludicrous, woo, in the public bathroom, with the back of the classroom, have you won it? Love a lover, gonna tap that ass soon. See, I passed them and I cast them. Get a tight grip and I grasp them. I flash them and outlast them. And if it ain't good, then I trash them. Will you stash them? I set them free and they tell me what they fantasy. Like up on the roof, roof. Tell your boyfriend not to be mad at me. I'm gonna lick, 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 lick you from your head to your toes. And I wanna move from the bed down.